ways that the country is going to find its purpose is if Christians start to act like it. If Christians start to act like Christians, the rest of the country might sit up and take notice. I was in this church, I've been in this church long enough to remember the founding pastor, Walter Zimmerman. He was in the Battle of the Bulge. He was a World War II veteran. And... Um, Back in 1986, when I first started coming to the church, and my girlfriend dragged me to this church, kicking and screaming, and I made fun of her, and she's still here today, and she actually married me anyways, which was really cool. Um, Pastor Z used to stand here, and he would preach in the 80s. Think about this. Back in the mid-80s and the 90s, and he would talk about how dark the world was getting, how morally corrupt the world was getting, and back then it seemed like it was. Who could have imagined there was any further to go back then. And, and what he used to say to us was, listen, uh, as things get darker, it only takes a little light to make a difference, to make an impact, to be seen. The darker the room is, the smaller the light is that shines brightly. And so I want to challenge you, church. Listen, let us, let us live our Christian lives in a way that the world can see us, in a way that they can notice us and and the way they notice us is, is when our love for others and for our churches is sincere and is deep, folks. Uh, we need to learn to love well. I want to talk about the church today. I'm, I'm thankful to be back in the pulpit. I'm very grateful to our leadership team as, uh, as my family has been navigating some troubled waters this past year. And Wherever Patrick is, I think he's in the sound booth today. I just want to say thank you to Pat for stepping in uh, in short notice to, to take the pulpit on, on last Sunday. And, and we're so blessed with leadership in this church. Can I get an amen from you? I mean, not just me, but like the rest of the guys and, and the ladies that step up and, and, and grease the wheels of the organization of this church. We are really blessed. Turn to your Bibles to Matthew chapter Matthew chapter 16, I'm going to read verse number 13 through 19 and kind of get our launching off point. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say uh, that I, the Son of Man, am? And so they said, some say you're John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist had lost his head for his faith in God and is proclaiming the truth. And some say you're Elijah, and some say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he said, but who do you, who do you say that I am? And then Peter, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, you're the promised one, right? You're the anointed one, that's what the word Christ means. You're the one that was sent from God, the one that we've been waiting for all this time, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you, uh, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give to you the, kings, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And this is the beginning of the local church. Remember, it was empowered at the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was permanently poured out on the church of Jesus Christ. But this is the foundation, man. This is the beginning. This group of about 125 disciples was the very first church. It was the physical representation of the universal church, okay? There's a lot of people, they buy into this idea that there's a universal church and we don't have to belong to an individual local body. 
But my friends, this is how the church started. It started locally. They were accountable to one another. They built one another up. They loved one another. They confronted one another because, listen, the local church is relational. It's a family. It's relational. How many of you guys have family members that sometimes you have arguments with? Anybody? Are you married? Come on. My wife and I, well, my wife and I, we don't argue, we discuss. We discuss. No, we actually don't. We, we're blessed. We don't have a yelling and screaming kind of relationship. Um, but we do have confrontation and we do have those times where, you know, we have to confront each other. Because believe it or not, Trisha and I, as awesome as we are, we don't always agree with each other. That should be like front page news to y'all. You should be going, what? Yeah, I know. We don't always agree with each other politically. We don't always agree with each other in how we need to deal with our children. Shocking. And so what happens? We have confrontation. We have discussions. And sometimes, sometimes we have to agree to disagree. Because neither one of us are going to change the other's opinion. And then we'll get into what we're going to talk about today, which is uh, leadership. The local church is organized. We went over that the last time I was here. It has a day to meet. They gather together, right? I, I warned you just because something sounds spiritual doesn't mean it is spiritual. Just because something sounds good you got these spiritual gurus, right? It sounds so wonderful. If it's not grounded in the Bible, it's not wonderful. And it's of the wrong spirit. Notice I capitalized spiritual, holy spiritual. Well, there's evil spirits around there, and their goal, their objective is to deceive you. And they wrap themselves in light. And they present themselves as angels of God, as emissaries from God. And they can look really good and they, they can talk really sweetly, but they're false. And one of the falsities that is going around today is that the organized church is not of God. That it's, it's not biblical and, oh, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church and church isn't that important. Or I'm a member of the worldwide invisible church. Well, the invisible church hasn't been gathered together yet. And all you're saying is this, I don't want accountability. I don't want to make the sacrifice that it takes to belong to a local body of believers where there's conflict and confrontation and where it's a mess. If your church isn't a mess, it's probably not doing anything. Membership is biblical in the church. In 1 Corinthians, he talks about that church. He's talking to the church at Corinth. And from there, all of these local churches, and he, and he tells them that they're a body. The local church is like a body. There's hands and there's feet, there's arms and there's legs, there's tongues and there's bums. I know, you don't, listen, Paul said it not quite as well eloquently as I just did, but he said there's parts of the body you cover up because they're unseemly, but they serve an important function. Not everybody in the church can stand on the platform and preach and teach. Not everybody in the church can play the piano. Not everybody in the church can can run a game for e-kids. 
Not everybody in the church can clean. Not everybody in the church can mow. But everybody in the church has a place because it's a body. It's a body. And for the body to function well, each part of the body must supply what God calls it to supply. Membership is, is absolutely 100% biblical. That's why we have membership meetings for those that are interested in joining our church. And I try to say this, listen, either God is calling you or he's not. And if he's calling you, he's planting you into this local body. He wants you here. If he doesn't want you here, then you need to find that church where he wants you to be planted. And not planted until it rubs you the wrong way. You follow? We don't, we don't just leave a church when things aren't going our way. Although many people do. They look at church as optional and one church is just like another church. And friends, I can tell you that Emmanuel has a specific purpose in the kingdom of God. It's going to reach specific people that Manchester Christian is not going to reach. And they're going to reach people that we're not going to reach. And we're both different types of churches, but we love Jesus and we serve him and we're local independent bodies. And I love Manchester Christian. The, the campus pastor, the outpost pastor, Mike Goff, is a personal friend of mine. But he's a pastor of that local body. And they have a task. And they care for each other well, as we do here. This, this, uh, this membership gathered together. And then, as they gathered together, there was something that they that they recognized, and what they recognized is what we want to talk about this morning. They recognized leadership, leadership. There, there are many today that do not want to accept leadership. They will pronounce in high spiritual overtones that the local church and pastors that are being financially supported, is, it's unbiblical. And nothing could be further from the truth, but it sounds spiritual, doesn't it? Well, for instance, this is a comment from that Facebook group I was talking about. I'm not under the authority of any man, only God. I hope this helps. It does the opposite of all of those people in that group who are not plugged into a local church and being grounded in the truth of God. It does the opposite of help. It drives them away. It sounds spiritual, doesn't it? I'm not under the authority of any man, only God. It sounds really powerful, and I hope this helps. It doesn't help, folks. And if you're here this morning, and you're just here on a Sunday morning, and you can give church or take church, and a pastor's a pastor or not, I don't really care. Folks, I hope that you will buckle up and follow me along as we take a journey through the Scripture this morning to see what God has to say about biblical leadership. These are, these are messages pastors usually hate to preach. It's tough to preach on leadership when you're the leader, but it's also necessary. So look at Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. I didn't put this in the Bible app. It's been a week, um, as you can imagine. In Titus chapter 1, verse 5, for this reason I left you in Crete. He's talking to Titus. Titus is one of the, um, Titus is one of the uh, young preachers that Paul had discipled and had trained. Okay? Titus is, is, is Pastor Titus. He sent Titus to Crete so he could square some things away on this, 
on the, in this island where these churches were. And he said, I, I left you in Crete uh, that you should set in order things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city. Elders would be leaders, pastors, overseers, appoint them in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop, elder, bishop, interchangeable, right, must be blameless as the steward of God. He's a steward. He's a manager of God's ministry, right? He is not the head. He is under the head, right? He is the steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he's been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. And this is sort of what we've been doing the last few weeks together as we're trying to clear up a mess that's being made by those who are calling themselves Christians who may not be. Or they may be Christians, but they're untrained and they're untaught and they're being blown about, the Bible says in Ephesians, blown about by every wind of doctrine. Every popular thing that comes their way sounds spiritual. They, they follow after that. And then they follow after this teacher and they follow after that teacher. And, and Titus has been given this charge by Paul to get in there and square things away. Get some pastors in these churches that have been trained and that have been taught and who are men of God and who look it and act it. Titus, you pick them and put them in place. That's an important distinction. So what we see here is that the local church had recognized leadership roles. They had recognized leadership roles. Titus was sent to Crete to do what? You read it with me. What was he supposed to do? Go to the churches in every city and do what? Appoint elders, bishops to those churches. And what were those elders and bishops supposed to be able to do? They were supposed to be able to handle the word of God with maturity. They were supposed to deal with false doctrine and false teachers. Folks, you follow? They were supposed to be mature in the faith. They were supposed to have families that were following Jesus. Right? This is what we see. So you tell me, according to the word of the living God, is leadership in the local church biblical? Is it biblical? Is it biblical to have a pastor appointed to a local church? Pastor, overseer, elder, three words Same office, different tasks. So overseers, pastors today, pastors today fill this role. Pastors fill this role. There's a a passage in Acts where where they look at the apostles and, and, um, and of course, Judas had blown it. Can we say Judas had blown it? We agree with that. To this day, if somebody calls you a Judas, is that a compliment? What does it mean? You're a betrayer. And so what they did was they chose out, the apostles chose out, the leaders of that first local church chose out two men, and they presented these two men to the church, and then they said to the church, now you, by the Spirit of God, choose between the two. 
This is an interesting thing because I really believe that the pastor of the church should be presenting the next pastor of the church. It's not a guarantee that it'll be done that way. I don't know. I might die and you won't have somebody come ready to go, but really the pastor of the church and the, and the elders of the church should be looking out for the next elder of the church and presenting him to the church. And there's a reason for that, and we'll get into that in a, in a few minutes, but Pastors fill the role of overseers. They fill the role of bishop. They fill the role of elder. Take a walk with me to another letter that Paul wrote to yet another pastor, teacher, another young man, man that he was training, that he had trained. And this man's name is Timothy. And he's saying to Timothy, talking about pastors, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires to position, what is it? Is it ethereal? Is it imagination? Is being a bishop, anybody can do it? Is it just, what is it? It's a position in the local church. Folks, the local church was organized. Even way back at its very beginning, it was organized. So he says, it's a faithful saying. If a man desires a position of a bishop, a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, Lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony of those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Is leadership biblical? Is the position of leadership in the church a biblical position? I want to hear it. Yes or no? Folks, we're here to teach we're here to learn what the Bible says, because if a local church doesn't have leadership, the local church is floundering and it's lost. I don't believe in leading by committee. I also don't believe in leading by following consensus. That's the church leading itself, isn't it? And that's the problem with leadership. Everybody thinks they are one. And that's why we elect a leader. That's why we confirm that God has called this man to be the lead pastor of this church. And we confirm that God has anointed these men to be ministers of the gospel. Those are our pastoral staff. That's why we believe that God is anointing and calling these men to be deacons in our church. Folks, you understand that the church needs leadership. Or it'll be languid and it'll be failing and falling for every false doctrine around I want, I, want to, I want to drive this point home because Paul the Apostle had respect for the elders. He had a tremendous respect for the leaders of the local church. When he got to, when he got to Ephesus from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And, and when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you. What I want you to notice right off the bat is when he got to Ephesus, who did he call? Who did he call? Did he call a gathering of all of the members of that local church? Who did he call? Who did he call? Who did he call? He called the elders of that local church. He called the leaders of that local church. And we're going to find out in a minute, first of all, the respect he's showing them. But secondly, Paul is the grandfather. 
Paul is the wise old man. He's the, he's the one that founded many of these churches and trained many of these men. And, and he said, you know how from the first day I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you. I think it's really important that we understand that our leadership lives among us. Moves among us. Folks, serving the Lord with all humility and with many tears and trials, which happened to me at the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks. And this is the glorious gospel of God, the repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning, the church was established for this message. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God and God the Son and that he came to earth and died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. Your sins and my sins and the sins of the whole world. That's why Jesus came. And he says repentance toward God, that means a changing of your mind toward God, a a turning of your will from your way to God's way, recognizing that what God calls sin is sin, and you turn from that to God, and now you put your faith in Jesus. And when you turn to God, you offer Jesus as a sacrifice for the sin in your life, past, present, and future. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53 that God the Father was satisfied with the sacrifice of God the Son, to wash away the sins of all who would call upon him. Do you know Jesus today? Have you experienced that? Do you know what it's like to be forgiven by God the Father, the creator of the universe, not because you've earned it, not because you deserve it, not because you turned over a new leaf, just because you turned and said, God, I'm a sinner without excuse by birth and by choice, and I need to be cleansed, and I can't clean myself. I need Jesus. And I'm presenting him to you as a sacrifice for my sin, asking that you would forgive me in the name of Jesus. And you know what God does? He forgives you. He cleanses you. He declares that you are now, henceforth, forever his child. Never to be lost. That is what the church is all about, folks. That's what the church is all about. We point to Jesus. And so here we want to look at the responsibilities of your leaders, the responsibility of your of your pastor, and I think this is really important to understand that the Bible teaches us in Ephesians that the pastor uh, is a gift to the church. There are churches today, I know of a church in, in West Virginia that when their pastor moved on, they, they searched for two years, I think it was, Trish, was it two years-ish, two or three years, to find their next pastor. And they were rudderless, rudderless for two years. I mean, they had good men and good leaders but they didn't have the anointed one that God had called to that place. Folks, it's a gift when a church has a a pastor who's willing to stay, who's willing to stick it out through thick or thin, good and bad, up and down. Let's take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you. And what is it? What's the next phrase? What does it say? And are. What is it? What is it? Folks, I hate this. Sometimes. I mean, I've said I'm the worst boss in the world. Like, I'm, I'm a terrible, like, my niece Michelle is my admin, and, and she works part-time for us. And I don't like telling people what to do. So you probably got the best pastor. Like, I just hate that. I 
you know, I'm learning. I'm getting some help from people that are good managers, that are, that are helping me with that weakness in my character of wanting to tell people what to do. Folks, but you have to understand that God has established leadership in the church, and along with leadership comes a, comes a word that, that a lot of people today think is a dirty word. And that word is authority. People don't want authority over them. They don't, want to, they don't want police authority. You're seeing it across the country. Now, do some police officers abuse their authority? Sure they do. Do some pastors abuse their authority? Absolutely. Do some military leaders abuse their authority? You bet. Presidents, sen- presidents senators, folks, people that are in leadership abuse their authority, but that doesn't mean they all do. And what happens is People look at one and they latch onto that one and they say, if one is bad, all are bad and I will not be brought under the authority of anyone. I've spoken with people who have been hurt by people who have been in authority in their lives. Authority figures have broken their trust and have hurt them and harmed them and so their default position now is rebellion. But their rebellion in many cases is self-preservation. So don't look down your nose at them. They're trying to protect themselves And unfortunately, what they're doing is they're losing the protection that God has placed over them. Because authority is a gift from God. They're over you and they labor among you. It's interesting how they have over and among in the same phrase, over and among. Those who are good leaders are among their people. Pastor Elam, one of my mentors, he said, listen, man, shepherds smell like sheep. Because they are among their people. They're not above and high and mighty. They're over in the sense of responsibility and care. But they're among their people. He says this, they're over you in the Lord. And what do they do? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness gracious. They admonish you. They correct you. Most of the time that's done from right here from the platform, from the pulpit. Occasionally, it's done one-on-one. And when I need to do it, I try to do it as gently and caring as I can. I've been dealing with one particular person and just gently prodding. Hey, have you done this yet? What do you think about this? Now, gradually, if they become obstinate, it needs to become stronger. Like Paul said to Titus, he said, sharply rebuke, okay? There's a time. There's a time for gentle rebuke and sharp rebuke, and and it's up to us as leaders to understand when which is necessary. We go on, he says, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, be at peace among yourselves. People have Wondered, like, how can I be a blessing to my pastor? How can I, how can I love my pastor well? And, and we'll get into that next week. But here's one way. Be at peace among yourselves. Be relational with one another. Be willing to confront, but more importantly, be willing to forgive. Be willing to forbear. That literally means to bear up other people, to put up with other people's stuff. That's what we're supposed to do with each other. Be at peace among yourselves. Give Great respect to those who are in authority and leadership over you for their work's sake. And do it in love. Can you believe I said I I love you to someone in this church and they said I love you in Christ. I said, ouch. 
you don't just love me? And they said, no, you'll get over it. I said, okay, well, I love you. <laughs> and now I forbear. Can't win them all. Be at peace among yourselves. Esteem them very highly. I, I see often, and this is sad to, to me, that God has established leaders in the church, and by and large, most of y'all respect me, and I can tell that. I appreciate it. But every now and then I watch how you treat some of the other leaders, and I think, you're not getting it. Are all of our leaders flawed? Thank you, Pat. Yes, thank God the qualifications of a pastor or a deacon doesn't say perfect. It just says blameless, right? <laughs> There's a distinction there, though. It doesn't say perfect. Can I get a hallelujah to that? He says, now we exhort you, brethren. Now he's talking, listen, these leaderships, Timothy, Titus, me, leaders. Um, he's exhorting us that, that we are to warn those who are unruly, as I was just mentioning. And then we are to comfort the faint-hearted. And uphold those who are weak. Those are different characteristics of Christians who are struggling. Some are just weak. Have you met a brother that struggles with an addiction? They are just weak. We are to uphold them. We are to comfort those who are going through trials and tribulations and they're feeling like, I just can't take it anymore. Those folks aren't unruly. Those folks aren't rebellious in the, in the classic sense of the word. Like I just said to you, folks, somebody, some people have been harmed by authority, and so they just, they're closing off, and they're self-preservation, right? That's not necessarily being unruly, but it is being faint-hearted, and, and we're to comfort them and, and guide them along and be patient with them. Leaders, listen to me. Be patient with those who are under your care, but then there are those who will not be ruled, and those we are to warn and it's one of the saddest times in my ministry where I sit across my desk from someone and I have to look at them and I have to say, listen, I have to warn you. I have to warn you. You are rebelling against God and his word and you are not welcome to share those thoughts and ideas with the people of this church because you are following an ungodly, anti-biblical path. No pastor wants to do that. At least I don't think. He goes on. See that no one renders evil to evil for anyone. Folks, you're, you're not to play the game of getting people back. Right? We talked about this, confrontation. What is, the chief, what is the chief aim of confrontation? I'm right, you're wrong, say you're sorry. Is that the chief goal? The chief goal is restoration of a broken relationship. That's the goal. I love my wife more than I love being right. How many of us can say that? I love my wife more than I like being right. I mean, it took me a while to get there, maybe. No, I'm just kidding. She's had me wrapped. Since day three, I told her I loved her. And then when I was 17, I told her we'd be married. Anyways, I digress. Always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for whom? For all of us. And then he says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies or the, or the preaching of the Word of God. Test all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. <clears throat> that is our task as pastors, teachers, and as the church. So I'll ask you again, is the church of God organized should we be a part of it? And does it have leaders who actually have authority? 
Does the Bible say this or am I just making this up? If I'm making it up, folks, don't listen to me. Just don't listen to me. I'm trying to show you scripture in Ephesians chapter 4. The Bible says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body in Christ, till we all come to get to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro. I mentioned that just a moment ago. Carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting pastors, but speaking the truth, pastors and teachers and leaders in this church, get this, speaking the truth, how? Out of exasperation? Because you're sick and tired of people being thick? I mean, there was a time where Jesus looked at his disciple and he's like, have I been with you for so long and you still don't get it? I mean, if Jesus can do that, I think we can do that too. But folks, we're supposed to speak the truth in absolute love 100% and the people that we're speaking to should know that we love them. They should know that we love them. Now again, he's, he's speaking about the pastor teachers in these churches. I accidentally cut off verse number 11 and, and he gave, he himself, God, gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And that was the verse I cut off by accident. That's who he's talking about here. That's who he's talking about here. Gift to the church. He gave these to the church. So the pastor has two primary functions or duties. Okay? I want you to follow along with me. Uh, By the grace of God, we're going to get through this. First primary task is oversight. Oversight. We're called overseers. Follow? That's what we're supposed to do. And so let's take a walk in some scripture. I'm going to give you a definition. An overseer is an inspector, a watcher, a guardian, a leader, an authority. This is what the definition of being an overseer is. To serve in the office of overseer, to watch over, to direct, to care, to be accountable for others. That's the office of a pastor. He is an overseer. So let's take a look at. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Let the elders who do what? Again, this is the stuff pastors often don't like preaching. You haven't probably heard me preach this, but once or twice in the last 12 years. We rule well. Let those who rule well, who administrate well, be counted worthy of what? Double honor especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. He's letting you know we're talking about those lead pastors, teaching, preaching pastors, those who rule well. Now, unfortunately, there are a lot of pastors that preach this passage, and they almost scratch out that word well. Those who rule. Folks, no, it's, it's you rule well. If you don't rule well, you're not to be counted worthy of double honor. Just because you're ruling doesn't mean you're worthy. You got to rule well especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. The elders who are among you, this is now Peter talking. This is uh, the, the same Peter that Jesus looked at him and said, you are Peter. All right, God revealed to you that I am his son. The elders who are among you, I exhort, who am also a fellow elder, pastor, teachers, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. 
Folks, we, we have elders who are among us, and, and we are to recognize them. We are to, uh, that word recognize in 1 Thessalonians mean we are to, we, means we are to give them uh, respect, that we are to give them honor, and then we also to know them. In the King James, it says, know them who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. I want to continue reading through verse uh, 4. He says, according, <clears throat> excuse me, just a second, catch my breath. Hold, please. There we go. He goes on and he says, Shepherd, this is, this, is the, this is the challenge to the pastors now. So I'm kind of preaching to myself and you guys get to watch, right? And he says, Shepherd, shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd the flock of God, which is, again, there's that word, among you, among you, uh, which, listen, Serving as overseers, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. There's a lot in there, and we're going to unpack it in just a minute, but boy, there's so much powerful um, uh, admonition to those who would be pastors in that verse. For 10 years, God was calling me to be a pastor, and for 10 years, I was saying no. Now, Peter said, listen, you need to want this. Eric, you need to be willing to do this. And that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit versus an evil spirit. The evil spirit is not there to throw handcuffs on you. I mean, the Holy Spirit is not there to throw handcuffs on you and force you and abuse you. The Holy Spirit wants your will. And it wasn't until I finally became willing that he ushered me into this place. Folks, we're to, we're to be willing. We're to be eager to serve God by serving others in his church. Now look at Hebrews chapter 13. Obey those who have rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those that must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Now to me, that's one of the scariest, oh, that's one of the scariest verses in the entire Bible to me. Might not be to you because not really the admonition is be submissive, and that's great, and you should be, but when I read that, I read, I'm going to give an account for my 12 years so far at Emmanuel Baptist Church. I'm going to give an account for Emmanuel. That's scary. That's scary. So what are we do, what are we to do is we're to be overseers, and so overseers lead well. We lead well. Being a leader means that you are in the Lead means you're out in where? You're out in front. You're leading well. And, and being out in front means really this. You're being an, starts with an E and ends with example. Right? You're being an example so people can see you. You're leading well. You're living a life. And Paul has given Titus and, and Timothy these instructions. And he's saying lead well. Be loving, be kind, be hospitable, don't be a brawler, don't be a bully, lead well, lead your home well, lead your church well. That is what an overseer does, he leads by example, and that's how you lead well, among other things, and, and here's the other thing, we are to love 
well, as pastors, we had our love well. Uh, Paul said this, and he said that when we were among you, we were gentle like a nursemaid. We cared for you so much, not only that we would give you the gospel, but that we would give you our lives also. Church, can I tell you, listen, I, I, I appreciate you. And I appreciate so many of you saying, Pastor, I didn't call you because I didn't want to burden you. And I, I mean, I appreciate your heart in that matter. And, and don't call me if you got a stub toe or, you know, uh, broke your fingernail. I mean, unless that's the end of the world to you or something. Thank you. When they nail my coffin shut, if they do such a thing today, I don't want to have anything left in the tank. And neither should you. And there are times when I can't handle it. And when I can't handle it, I step back. Right? I have Ron Ancy, Rick Moore, and Peter Clow as as pastoral staff, and they, they rise up, and then Patrick and Angel rise up and share that load with me. And, and folks, sometimes you do yourself a disservice and you do me a disservice when you don't share, when you don't allow me to pastor you because you think that I'm hurting, you think that things are too heavy for me. If things are too heavy for me, I back away. But God has called me to this. Paul had no reservations about giving his life for this church. Why should I have that reservation of burning that candle, of giving it all up for Jesus? I think so many times we live our lives in a state of protection that we're afraid to get out into the deep end of the pool. We're afraid to get out there where it's messy. Let me pastor you, church. God's called me to it. The suffering that God has allowed my wife and my family to go through, the suffering that we've been going through for the last 12 years or so, 29 years, almost 30, is for your benefit. It's for your benefit, church. Anyways, I digress. We're to love well. We're to, we're to labor well. We're to labor well. And, and this is where um, I think Brett is pretty good at hammering me on this uh, when I try to mow the lawn all the time, or I want to use the plow all the time. He's like, you have better things to do with your time, pastor. And I'm like, yeah, but I like this. And then we have this confrontation and argument, and, and sometimes I win, sometimes Brett wins. But the heart of Brett is to serve Jesus and this church and allow me to give myself to the Word of God in prayer. That is the labor that I am supposed to be primarily concerned with in this church. But I also lead by example among you. And nothing should be too low for a pastor to do. A good pastor is willing to grab a mop or a broom or a dust whatever. Folks, but our, our primary job is to labor in the word of God and prayer. And I would ask that you would pray for me on that one. That I might be more faithful in that area. Uh, we're going to wrap here really quickly that the second type of work that a pastor does. That was the first type and three subtypes. The second type is shepherding. So one, we're overseeing, we're leading well, we're loving well, we're laboring well. And second, we're shepherding. In Acts chapter 20, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock which is among you, uh, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Folks, you follow that? Who makes a pastor a pastor? 
the Holy Spirit. The church doesn't make a pastor a pastor. The Holy Spirit has assigned me to Emmanuel to shepherd this church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. If you instruct the brethren in these things, First Timothy now, Timothy is, again, that, that pastoral uh, epistle. Paul is telling Timothy, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a, a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourishing the words of the faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. He warns these believers, these elders, in Acts chapter 20. For some reason, my slides have gotten messed up. Wouldn't have anything to do with me trying to adjust them this morning. I would, that would have nothing to... I would never do anything at the last minute like that. that did somebody just... Yeah. I moved me back. Real quick, 28 to 31. Therefore, take heed to yourselves the flock which is among you, the Holy Spirit has made you overseer, shepherd the church of God, which you purchased with his own blood. Now, now, this is really important. This is really important, what Paul is saying to these men. So first he shows up at Ephesus. He honors these elders of the church, but he's doing something really specific. As the lead elder, he is talking to these other elders. Folks, uh, pastors in this church, uh, you need to take note of this, that God has ordained, ordained, anointed one to lead even you, folks who are elders in this church. And, and Paul takes the time, he said, I know this, that, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among you, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone, uh, every." everyone night and day with tears. And then he commends them to God and to the word of grace, which is able to build you up. And so this is what Paul does with these pastors at Ephesus. He warns them. So what does a shepherd do? <clears throat> and I'm going to say almost in closing, the shepherd protects this is what I've been doing the last few weeks, protects the church from false doctrine, from false teachers. He protects the church. He protects the church. Right now, one of the biggest false doctrines out there is the prosperity gospel that God wants you to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. If it were not so, I would have told you. Folks, we're going to have tribulation in this world. We're going to have persecution in this world. When a pastor gets up and says, if you trust Jesus, he will heal all of your ills and, and make you wealthy. And folks, that pastor is selling you a false truth. And that's what true pastors are supposed to do. We're supposed to protect the flock from false doctrine, from false teachers. And how can we watch out for false teachers? I'm going to give you just real quick. Number one, compare their teaching to the Word of God. Compare their teaching to what the Word of God says and ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate you. Are they twisting what the Bible says for selfish reasons? He said they pervert the Word of God. A perversion, a twisting of God's Word. Watch those whom you are listening to, whether it's on uh, right now, media, which has tremendous, tremendous, if it wasn't a blessing, I wouldn't have done it, but there are some teachers that you've got to be careful of. Some, some devotions on version Bible app that you've got to be careful of. And above and beyond that, listen, YouTube is the wild, wild west. 
Twitter's the wild, wild west. TikTok's like the moon. Be careful because there are people who gain platforms who are not biblically sound, but they're dynamic and they're gifted. They have tremendous talent. Folks, we got to be careful. Compare their teaching to what the word actually says in context. And number two, observe their fruit. Do they exhibit the fruit of the Spirit? Do you know them? What are the people that they interact? How are they impacting and influencing the people in their circles? And now, here you go. Know them who labor what? What is it? It starts with an A and it ends with a mung. Among you. How are you supposed to see the outcome or the fruit of a person's work if you're not around the person? This is the important, guys, people think the local church is a joke today. But what the local church does for you, first of all, it gives you a family, it gives you a body that you belong to, and it gives you a pastor that you can watch, that you can see the fruit of his ministry, the fruit of his life. And other leaders in this church, you can see the fruit of their ministry, the fruit of their lives. And so this is how, as a pastor, I want to watch out for you. I want to watch what you're listening to, watch what you're hearing, watch those influences in your life. And this is what I'm looking for. Are they twisting the word of God for selfish gain especially? Are they, are they, is their fruit godly? In Matthew, Jesus says, beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. They look good. But inwardly, they're, 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 they're ravenous wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. And then finally, it's interesting what I was reading from the Apostle Paul as he's taking these elders from Ephesus, and it's kind of like his swan song as he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's talking to these, these pastors, and, he, and he's warning them, watch out, look out, be careful. People might even come from among you that are twisting the word for their own selfish gain, and it's not always money. Sometimes it's notoriety. We had a person in this church who, who had been living in sin and doing sinful things, and in order to deflect from himself, he began to teach false doctrine in the lobby of our church, just one-on-one with people. He was a wolf, but he was in sheep's clothing because he knew Scripture, and he would rest and twist the Scripture to defend his own horrible life while he pointed at other people in the church and tried to contrast his with theirs. Folks, be careful of them. His fruit was disturbed. And finally this, whose kingdom are they building? As he's talking to these pastors at Ephesus, he says they, they, they are, they're drawing away disciples after who? Do you remember what I said? They're drawing away disciples after themselves. They're drawing away disciples after themselves. They're building their own kingdom. And you can have a pastor teacher that stands up in the pulpit and says, oh, don't put me on a pedestal. But as soon as you take him off the pedestal, bam, how could you, right? Folks, we point to Jesus. You're not disciples of Eric. You're disciples of Jesus. If there's anything good in my life, it's Jesus. If there's anything bad, folks, it's me. You protect the flock. You provide for the flock. We do this in several different ways. As the, as the lead pastor of the church, I'm the primary teacher and preacher of the church, but I'm also here to provide you with, with, uh, with, with biblical options and such. We have Pastor Peter, who is a discipleship and connections pastor, and so we create Bible life circles and e-kids, and we do things that will feed you and nourish you 
spiritually, and that is the job of a pastor. He provides. And finally, if you look to me, uh, with me rather, to 1 Timothy chapter 4, I'm going to read verse 1 through 5, and this is the last passage I have to share with you. I know it's getting late, and so if I could have the worship team come forward as I, as I read here. I'm sorry, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul is warning Timothy as a preacher. You guys that are leaders, you may not be pastoral staff. You, you may be navigating that water within your own heart. Like, is God calling me to be a minister of the gospel? And if, if God is calling you to be a minister of the gospel, hear him well when he warns you through this epistle to Timothy. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Can I tell you that today I am out of season? I am out of season today. There are times when I know that I should not stand here and I try to be wise. And I'll call one of the other men of the church that are called to preach to, to share a message with you. And then there are times where I'm just out of season, but I know I'm supposed to be here. Even when it's hard, and even when I'm tired, and even when, folks, this has been one of the worst weeks of my life, but God did not give me a pass on preaching today. I had my guy saying, hey, are you, are you okay? You're all set? You get, you get Sunday? And I said, I, yes, I do. Why? Because God hasn't given me that pass. He hasn't released me from the pressure of presenting his word today. And so you need to preach in season, out of season, when it's easy, when it's hard, when you're tired, when you have energy. Listen, when God calls you to do it, you just do it. There is no how. There's only this. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but, but according to their own desires, uh, they, will, they will seek teachers, heap up, heap up for themselves teachers, and they'll turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. And here it is again, but be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And so what does God call his pastors to do. He calls them to oversee and he calls them to shepherd. And one of the primary ways of shepherding is preaching the word of God. In 1 Corinthians, he tells us the preaching of the gospel is preeminent in the church. The preaching of the word of God should not be dismissed. It shouldn't be something that you feel like you can do without. Folks, it is the preaching of the word of God. Listen, it is the power of God unto salvation to any who believe when we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. In season, out of season, preaching and teaching the whole counsel of God. The final admonition to those to, who are called to pastor and to preach is this. Um, we, preach, we preach to an audience of one. We preach for an audience of one, and that is Jesus Christ. We preach to please one. We preach to please one. 
I'm always encouraged when people say, hey, you did a really good job, great job, and, and I want to be a great public speaker, and trust me, it encourages me, but I preach to please one. It's his message. I'm just a messenger. The Bible says a pastor cannot be self-willed. I'm not to self-aggrandize. It's supposed to be about Jesus, but I preach to please one and to build up all. We preach to please one, but we preach to build up, to warn, exhort, challenge, confront in the preaching of God, of the Word of God. Folks, it's better for you that you hear the warning through the preaching than it is if the pastor has to come from the pulpit to the pew and speak with you one-on-one. Far better for us to hear the preaching of the Word of God and respond to it than to have to be confronted personally. So I hope that you've been blessed this morning by this, by this message, and we've got a twist to this. God is still building His church. Will you trust Him? First of all, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Do you know that if you were to die today that you would have a home in heaven? Are you 100% certain of that? If you're not, that's what the church is all about. You can't be a member of the church without being a part of the family of God. Do you know Jesus? If you do awesome, he's still building his church. If you know Jesus, maybe this sounds odd to you. Will you trust him? Will you be a part of his church? Will you let go of some of this? I was hurt before and I'm just, I'm just going to protect myself. Will you, will, you, will you let your guard down? Will you be fully engaged with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Will you allow yourself to be hurt so you can love others? Folks, that's reality. If you're going to love well, you have to be ready to be hurt badly. But God will sustain you. Pain is only pain. And one day, we get to go somewhere where it's all wiped away. 